Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive, somewhat weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the Fruited Plains. My name is George, N2APB, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, the lovely and talented Joe, N2CX. And uh, together we are going to be talking uh, about portable antennas in Chat with the Designers, episode number 77 tonight, the very last episode for a calendar year. This is December 22nd, so I hope everybody has their Christmas shopping done and uh, everything else that goes on the tree and, and, and whatnot, but uh, glad that you could spend a little bit of time here with us this evening, and uh, we're going to have an enjoyable program. Um, hope you've had a chance to kind of preview the whiteboard, and if, Joe, you haven't already done it, uh, maybe get that link over onto the uh, uh, the chat box, part of uh, the, the TeamSpeak client here, so um, everybody can know where we are referring to when we do go through the materials here. Uh, but tonight's program is uh, really going to focus on portable QRP antennas. Everybody has uh, usually had a chance to go out in the field and throw some wire up into a trees. We like to buy new gadgets and new approaches for um, portable antennas, uh, either verticals or long wires or beverage or loops or, golly, who knows what else. We're going to cover a lot of that here this evening and um, hopefully an awful lot of anecdotal discussion how it, things work for you in a given type of antenna that you've had. We, we do a, a good cross-section of the kinds of uh, antennas that are out there and the low-cost items that we often are, uh, that we often get uh, from our different suppliers or make up our own, uh, make them up ourselves in the, in the, um, in the shack. And um, so uh, we're going to be uh, talking about those and would like to hear back from, like, had, we'd like to have this be a pretty good interactive session. So, if you can chime in at an appropriate time, if we're talking about an Alex loop or um, an NFED half-wave antenna or some kind of a mount that goes onto the automobile or a temporary setup that you use in the field or what you wrap up and take along with you when you take your KX3 out in, uh, into the field or even when you use uh, some of your rigs here at home. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about here today. Someone commented on the list earlier today. I think it was Rick over there in uh, uh, Jersey, W2JAZ. I think. Um, I don't see him with us here tonight, but um, uh, Rick commented that, like, holy cow, you guys are going to have to really hustle fast through this program because there's so much good material to cover, and um, I think both Joe and I agree with that. So we're going to get started, like, right away. At the end of the program, by the way, we'll have a brief update on where we are with the two major projects that we've got going. Um, the GPS DO, Disciplined Oscillator, and da -da -da -da, the Elmer 101 series featuring the SW30 plus uh, kit. So things are moving along really well and uh, we'll see what's happening um, very soon on that. So let's get started in with this. I'm going to hand it over to um, uh, Joe and to CX. Um, over the years, Joe, you have uh, you've had a specialty to say the least in, in um, antennas in general and portable antennas and QRP and pretty much a, a guru in the area as I called, uh, as I referenced you. Certainly my mentor in so many things, this has been one of them. 
and you're published in, in various magazines and articles along the way about these things. And uh, we're going to be looking forward to hearing from you about uh, your uh, your insight, your experience, advice, and um, fielding of questions that we've got. So pretty much Joe's going to take the, the con here today. I'm going to play the uh, the sidekick and ask uh, the questions and, and uh, sort of uh, help field some of the questions. But Joe, why don't you just start us off by why is it that you have focused on antennas so much over the past and why it really tickles your fancy? Ooh, I love it when you talk that way. Yes, actually, um, as far as I'm concerned, antennas are um, one of Ham Hamdom's favorite topics. Everybody, uh, everybody likes them. Everybody's got an opinion about how well they work. Everybody has a favorite, and um, it makes for a lot of fun um, when uh, when people can get together and discuss their antennas. Uh, it's interesting to see at Field Day what people put up. Um, several of the clubs I've been in have um, had uh, band uh, champions, yes. guys who uh, who have uh, picked the pick Dave uh, any five DL. I think uh, yeah. we better use some Vox here because, or not Vox, um, push to talk because because the audio is uh, bleeding through. Or are you trying to uh, break me? Uh, I wasn't aware that I was, but I can hear an echo on my mic. It's the first time here, so excuse me. Yeah, if you go over to, I believe it's um, settings, you can pick a um, yeah. you can pick a button to be a um, push to talk button. Most of us usually use control, the right control button. Uh, you press that when you want to um, have push to talk on the mic so that um, the audio in the shack doesn't echo, and uh, the echo doesn't come back on the uh, list. So you might give want to give that a try. Yeah, the problem is I've got it set to my right, right. Uh, left, my left, my left uh, mouse, mouse button. button. I, need I need to change, to change that. that. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. idea. <laughs> you change it anyway. Um, hams um, in general like antennas. It's it's a hot topic with them. And um, yeah, we use headphones. <laughs> Ray says um, hot topic with hams. They love it, and uh, everybody has a favorite one. Um, I've done a lot of um, portable operating in the over my ham career in the last um, hate to say it, but 50, 50 some years. A lot of it because I can't put up uh, the antennas I want at home. I've always had a, a kind of noisy location, so receiving is um, is awkward, and I like to be outdoors. It's always fun to uh, fun to uh, enjoy being outdoors, and at the same time enjoy ham radio by uh, putting up some sort of antenna and getting on the air. Um, those who know me, I'm I'm kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to antennas. Um, I have my own opinions uh, based on uh, my experience and uh, and some technical. Yeah, I hear George laughing there. Um, and my technical background, I, I tend to um, tend to have strong opinions about antennas. However, um, in the uh, spirit of amateur radio, it's always fun to put up whatever you can just see how well it works. Sometimes you're very pleasantly surprised. Um, but I generally aim for antennas is that have consistent performance that I've learned over the years and um, stick with them when I can and uh, go um, compromise when uh, when I when I have to and in a way of compromise just uh, to prolong this intro a little bit um, I don't like the term compromise um, politicians and uh, car ads like to tell you they never compromise well that's bull um, as engineers say there are always trade-offs they don't talk in terms of compromise they term, talk in terms of trade-offs trading off one thing for another um, features very versus cost, convenience, whatever else. So I tend to think in terms of trade-offs, and they're always trade-offs, uh, no, no matter what the subject. Anywho, let's get on with the subject. Um, portable hamming is, is an awfully popular activity. Um, usually in, in the northern climes during spring, summer, and fall, uh, we've had um, some spells of warm weather, at least on the east coast in December. So I've had the um, pleasure of being able to get out and throw some wires up in trees and operate, uh, operate in December, which is very rare. 
rare, which is what led me to want to um, handle this topic um, <laughs> from personal experience. Uh, a lot of fun. And um, different, it's, it's always true, but different types of operation dictate the antennae you use. If you're just going to go out in the park for uh, 10 or 15 minutes, um, you don't want to have to set up something elaborate. You don't want to drag along a, a lot of tuners and, and crud with you. Um, it's nice just to throw a wire up in a tree and uh, uh, use whatever simple tuner you might have in your rig or a very small tuner to get on the air. On the other hand, if you're if you're setting up for a field day, if you're setting up for some sort of um, activation event, like you're activating a, uh, a club operation or uh, setting up by a, a historic uh, location or um, perhaps some uh, ship in a harbor somewhere, um, people often uh, set up near battleships that are their uh, tourist traps or lighthouses. Uh, and um, the summits on the air and uh, islands on the air, other operations where uh, you're going to set up probably for a couple hours, try to work as many people uh, across the country and across the world as you can. So you tend to put a little more um, effort into setting up the antennas and uh, uh, doing a better job. Yeah, I see Rick says now parks on the air. The NAQCC, uh, um, and um, I'd screw up the initials if I told you what it stood for. They have park petitions periodically, which are a lot of fun. Um, and I, I, I work those guys, and I'm sure there are other parks that get on the air. Kind of cool to do. All right, let's get in the types of portable antennas. Um, as I said, um, one of the simplest things to do is just to throw a wire up in a tree and see what you can do. Um, in the um, uh, Ellicraft literature, um, they mention um, one of their favorite antennas is just to take a wire, uh, 24, 25 feet, maybe as much as 30 feet, throw it up on a wire and um, have some sort of ground counterpoise and use the internal tuner in the rig to get on the air. Um, it's an easy thing to do. It's very, very quick to uh, set up and take down. Um, may not be the best uh, performance in the world, but uh, quite often it's it, uh, very good to uh, to do for a simple operation. Um, one of the downsides is that uh, since it's non-resonant, you need some sort of tuner, uh, be it the tuner in your KX3 like I use, or uh, possibly um, one of the auto tuners. There's some small auto tuners available, or even um, some manual tuners, which, uh, which do a good job. Uh, simple to do, and a lot of people uh, like to get on the air with them, myself included. If I'm doing a uh, uh, simple operation, um, W1PID, uh, Jim Cluett up in New Hampshire. Seems like uh, during warmer weather, he's out on the trail to some river or some mountain, or in fact, he even went to Hawaii this year. Uh, he gets on the air quite often with a 30-foot wire uh, and gets on the air and, and makes half a dozen or more contacts in a half hour or so and uh, does a does a, uh, does a reasonable job. You might want to check. I have his uh, URL there to his webpage, um, www.w1pid.com, and check out some of his adventures uh, that he's operated in uh, always, always a uh, uh, little, uh, George, what do you want? <laughs> From time to time, Joe, I'll just kind of blink here, but I didn't mean to interrupt at this very moment, just whenever you were to taking a breath. Um, to inject a little bit of technical stuff along the way here, too, um, I, I know you're going to get into that very much um, as we go on, but in general, uh, can you get, can one get gain from throwing a wire up into a tree, um, or is it always going to be less than or equal to that of a ground wave as a comparison? 
and ground wave vertical. Speaking as an engineer, you always get gain. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. Um, quite often, a simple wire will will be um, uh, less efficient than uh, than other more complicated antennas. Um, depends on an awful lot of things. Uh, often it's good enough, but um, you know, if you're going for the ultimate signal, it, may, it might not be the opera, the optimum uh, thing. One of the things it's interesting that um, W1PID pointed out, and I've observed it, but it, it really didn't sink in. If you're going to do that with a wire, um, if you're just going to throw it up in a tree somewhere and operate, um, it is often best to try to get it as vertical as you can so that as much of the radiating portion of the wire is elevated above the earth, so the signal gets out. And um, that, that really does make a difference. If it's low and horizontal, um, you're not going to put out much signal. You're going to be radiating right into the ground. But um, if you can get it sloping, sloping in the direction you want to transmit or uh, vertical, that um, that does make a uh, significant difference in uh, in uh, how well it works. Um, that answer your question, George? Sure does. You know, it, it, um, it um, amazes me in thinking back over the years, Joe. I mean, we started uh, uh, together with a rainbow tuner um, almost several decades ago now. And um, that, that constant, I think you're going to get into that next, maybe as far as a matching for um, an NFED. And um, um, that the the bear that the the efficiencies or the balance of efficiencies relative to ease is amazing even with the the, the most inexpensive types of solutions like that and maybe that's I haven't looked at uh, PID's uh, matchbox I'm suspecting maybe that's what's inside there um, but it doesn't take much to really kind of uh, uh, get on the air with some of these pieces of long wire and everything else that we're going to talk about here for the rest of the evening is probably variants around it. Maybe it's going vertical, maybe it's going horizontal, maybe it's maybe it's offset, maybe it's curled around into a loop in some fashion, but uh, um, that's one of the beauties, I think, of electromagnetic radiation. Indeed it is. It's a lot of fun. It, it is magic, frankly. Um, it, it astounds me sometimes when I'm taking a cross-country flight to think that uh, you know I'm sitting up there at 30,000 feet going almost 3,000 miles across the country, and um, quite often with a pretty simple antenna, my 5 watts is, is doing that same trip instantaneously. It's Even a miracle whip. Magic. Even a miracle whip. <laughs> well, you know my feeling <laughs> on that. If it works, it's a miracle. Anyway, enough uh, sarcasm. I see Rick wants to define a counterpoise. Counterpoise. Everybody has a different definition for a counterpoise. A count, um, the thing with most wires that are not uh, center-fed antennas that are elevated, we'll say single wires, is that um, they need something to work against. They need some ground something to uh, uh, to fulfill the other half of the antenna. So a counterpoise can be as simple and not terribly effective as a single wire laid out on the ground, or it can be um, uh, some wires stretched out around an antenna. And um, if it's an extensive field, generally something that's fairly resonant, it's um, more commonly referred to as a radial field. But a counterpoise is something that is shorter than a bunch of radials. It can be a single wire, it can be a, uh, a metal plate, it can be a uh, metal shed, or something metal non-resonant under the antenna to um, to provide the, the other half electrically of the antenna um, simply because antennas like uh, some sort of uh, some sort of balance a balanced uh, condition there um, as I mentioned W1PID is an enthusiast and he uses um, various things one of them is the um, uh, the EAR CHI which is the Emergency Amateur Radio Club of Hawaii uh, 640 antenna uh, they no longer sell it um, you can find um, something similar um, on the internet on eBay um, and it is a um, there's a picture of it on the 
on the whiteboard. It's a fairly simple antenna. It has a matchbox. They call it the NFED HF matchbox antenna. Use it with a 30-foot piece of wire. And um, you can see the guts of it. You can really duplicate it yourself pretty easily. And um, if you go to that website, you can find the, the, um, the guts, what's in it, so that you can buy the parts and make one yourself. There's a schematic of it. It is claimed to be a 9-to-1 unun, unbalanced to unbalanced uh, uh, tuner, which um, theoretically provides, since it's 9-to-1 turns ratio, it theoretically provides a um, um, 9 times 9 is 81 times impedance transformation. Um, putting on my engineer's hat, um, I'm a little leery of this because it's a um, an iron-powered iron powdered iron core transformer, which um, does not have high permeability, um, doesn't do, under broadband conditions, a very good um, um, impedance transformation, tends to be lossy. And in fact, um, you're feeding a wire, which is uh, non-resonant generally, and um, has an impedance that goes all over the place, not just the impedance, but the reactants. And feeding power through that means that um, uh, that the, um, the core is going to do an excellent job in wiping out the impedance variations. It's going to be very lossy. So you can you can load up pretty well. You don't need much of a tuner to um, to get the SWR down and make things happy, make your rig happy, but uh, it's not very efficient. That said, uh, W1PID and a whole bunch of others swear by this antenna and uh, think this matcher is um, uh, the best thing since, uh, uh, well, I won't say it, but something everyone, uh, every, every human among us enjoys. Um, it does work. I have one. I've used it. Uh, there are other things that are more effective. Anyone else uh, ha in the group have um, used this type of antenna, this um, EARCHI uh, uh, 9 to 1, quote, unquote, uh, unun. Yeah, go ahead, Rick. Okay, George uh, and uh, group and Joe, good evening, everybody. Yeah, I have uh, uh, precisely that antenna. In fact, I, I have uh, one of pretty much everything depicted on the whiteboard. Um, but I like this one a lot in the respect that it's a quick and easy setup. Um, most of the time I use it with a telescoping, uh, I have an aluminum telescoping flagpole. And oh, I can do things like I can lash it to a rain gutter or something like that. But what I do is I get the uh, the matchbox part uh, up in the sky and then uh, configure it as a sloper. And uh, that's worked uh, quite well for me uh, in a lot of circumstances. Uh, um, and just running QRP, which is pretty much what I do all the time uh, with one or another rig. Um, I've worked uh, uh, Europeans and uh, always seems to go in that direction pretty well, <laughs> at least from here. And uh, I get it to work on a bunch of different bands and it matches very quickly using the uh, KX3 ATU, which is uh, a critical component. You absolutely must have an ATU. But you can set it up quickly and take it down quickly and that has a real strong uh, um, attraction as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the other antennas, with the exception of the MagLoop, uh, take a lot more time to set up uh, properly, but this one you can get going in a flash. Um, like Jim, I like it because uh, it, it does the job. It may not be the best, but it does work, and it's really simple. Um, I think the 9 to 1 uh, they're talking about there is not, is not the turns ratio for this thing, but the impedance ratio. So it transforms the uh, four or 5,000 ohms uh, impedance down to uh, a few hundred, which just about any ATU can handle. Um, anyway, back to you, George. I think my doggy needs 
some attention here. Yes, you need to go so, back. So uh, <clears throat> take it away. Joe. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Um, Ray, I think I saw you keyed up. Well, perhaps not. Okay. Thank you, Rick. Uh, thanks for your observations. Yeah, it is a very quick, easy thing to put up. Uh, you get on multiple bands very quickly, and it uh, does a half-decent job. Just a comment on the fact that it tends toward um, Europe for you. Um, I've noted the same thing. I have a, a local park, Wood Creek Park, that I like to go and operate in, and I've found that um, my signal tends to uh, head eastward and um, should have occurred to me sooner, did not, but when I was chatting with W1PID one time, he mentioned, well, you know, you want to put the thing vertical or sloping, but if you slope the antenna, uh, it tends to, the signal tends to go out in the direction of the slope, the downward direction of the slope. By George, the way I had it set up, um, mine was sloping toward the east, so I was putting my signal into Europe. So I realized that I went to a different tree, stuck the darn thing up so the, the um, uh, downward slope was to the west and uh, made a significant difference trying to work people here in the States. Uh, you know, one of those cases of I should know better, but I didn't. Um, Ray, I think you may have used something similar, have you not? Well, I guess Ray's being shy. K2ULR has, has uh, experimented with a number of portable antennas, and I think at one of our Jersey QRP meetings, he had uh, he had one of these antennas. Works, um, can be multi-band, um, works in a pinch, and um, can do an effective job for uh, a very simple setup. Um, George, have you ever done anything with uh, something like this, just a random short wire? Oh, yeah. Um, field days, you and I uh, had been going out and, and doing a number of things, and that's a quick way to get something up into the trees. I remember some times over um, uh, Morristown Park or something, I forgot that little lake and all the the goose doo-doo that we had to walk around um, in order to get to the antennas, but it worked out really nice then, Joe. Yeah, that was Rosedale Park. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was a nice location, very good place for a field day. Um, <laughs> are all the contacts in your travels on CW? Uh, Rick, yes, they are. <laughs> Uh, that's primarily where I go. Sometimes I go uh, digital. Most of the time, it's digital with a key. Um, someone else just wants to uh, interrupt. Go ahead. No, that's just me again, Joe. When I'm having a really bad day and nothing seems to go well, I've got a headache, I've got a cold, my stomach aches, the family's nagging on me, the to-do list, and whatever. It's a really bad day. What I do is I turn on my KW amplifier, and uh, and uh, I have a good time. I know it's bad and uh, evil and all sorts of stuff, but nonetheless. But, but that gives me thinking, how much power can be handled by such a um, an unum um, or any of the little you know antenna tuners that we use for QRP? Generally, what's the power limitation uh, uh, considerations? Oh, yeah. Well, it depends on the tuner, of course. Um, I know the T1 tuner, the Ellicraft T1 tuner, which is a nice little portable thing, I think they read at 20 watts. Many of them are rated similarly. Um, I think people have pushed this this uh, EAR CHI thing up to 50 watts or so, um, although I would suspect under some conditions it could get pretty warm. Um, you can look on the web at some of the, the uh, tuners that are out there and uh, find uh, power ratings, um, particularly the homebrew ones. And uh, some of these are tailored for um, higher power operations. Generally, the portable uh, ones are um, uh, no more than uh, 100 watts or so. Uh, someone else trying to break me? Yeah, Carl, go ahead. Oh, no, I guess I accidentally hit the uh, push to talk bar. What I was going to say uh, while I was typing here is uh, a lot of the tuners that use the little polyverican-type capacitors generically are limited to about 10 watts maximum, uh, some even less than that because of the quality of the little polyvericans. Some of the... Uh, 
lesser quality ones, uh, five watts or so, it'll start deteriorating. But uh, I know a lot of the little designs I looked at, 10 watts uh, maximum for the ones that used the little Varicans. Uh, and I like this design. I'm happy to hear the input on this little uh, 9 to 1 thing. I just built one. You know, hoist it up sometime in the backyard this winter, and hopefully it'll uh, work well. So it ought to be interesting to see how it works. Thanks. Yeah, very good, Carl. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right about the uh, limitations of those polyvaricon caps. Um, there have been lots of comments on them along the lists. And, in fact, uh, W7ZOI uh, has published some measurements on them. He poo-poos them because they only have a queue of 300 or so. Well, okay, that's fine. But most of the time, um, you don't need that high EQ. And uh, the convenience uh, of having something small and inexpensive pays, pays off. But uh, you're right, they are limited in power. Rainbow Tuner I designed some years ago. Uh, would work up to 10 watts or so, but uh, uh, running it at uh, 20 watts, um, yeah, I zap some capacitors. That, that is indeed true. Good point. Good point. All right, the next topic is, um, it's again, it's a wire antenna, but it's the NFED half wave antenna. Uh, this, in the um, uh, pun intended spectrum of antennas, uh, can be more efficient, more effective than the uh, than the random wire. It does have some limitations. Um, the uh, We have a formula for the, uh, for the length of it, the theoretical length. It's 468 uh, over uh, frequency in megahertz. That is for half wave. Um, where it is resonant, um, if you end feed it, and it has a high impedance of several thousand ohms. Um, one of the nice things about it is that it also works on harmonics. Um, two times, three times, four times. So, for example, a 40 meter end-fed um, half wave will also have a resonance on 20 meters, on 15, and 10 meters. So it can be a multiband antenna. Um, the downside is that uh, you need a tuner with it. You need something to match the high impedance, the several thousand ohm impedance, down to the uh, typical 50 ohms of your uh, um, of your rig. A um, couple things we have listed here, a couple URLs. Um, Steve Yates, AA5TB, has some extensive information on NFED half-wave uh, wires. Very good uh, post, a very good uh, list. www.aa5tb.com slash efha.html. Um, he not only has some uh, info on the antennas themselves, the theory behind them, but um, he has some uh, information on tuners he's built um, that have been effective and um, uh, some anecdotal information on how well they've worked. Uh, that's a site I've gone to a number of times for, uh, for info on them and uh, referred folks to them if, uh, if they want to build their own. Um, going back a little ways, just a few years ago when I designed the Rainbow Tuner, um, we put some stuff up on the Jersey QRP webpage, and I'm not going to, uh, not going to uh, elaborate on it much or indeed try to read off that URL because you'd never get it. But um, the NFED half wave, um, I have some pictures here of some various configurations. Those who put up a lot of antennas is probably not new, but um, uh, you, you have some flexibility in, uh, in how you put the thing up. You can put it up as a, uh, uh, an inverted L antenna with a portion of it vertical and the rest on that horizontally. Um, you put it up as an inverted V where um, the end comes down, one end comes down to your tuner. The center goes up to a high center support. The other end is just tied off to something else. Um, or indeed, you can hook it up as a sloper. Sloper, yeah, have a high enough um, high enough support. You can put it up and um, uh, slope the thing up um, above the ground. Or if you have a really high support, you can um, set it up as a uh, halfway vertical antenna, dead vertical. Um, and in uh, some restricted space applications, you can even stick it up as an inverted U, where you 
uh, run from your tuner vertically and then a um, whole bunch out um, horizontally and then bend the end down so that um, you get the full length so just resonance and um, and you get the, the benefit of that um, uh, anecdotally some years ago uh, George was mentioning field days we did I had a 20 meter um, half wave wire vertical end fed vertical um, down in uh, on the Bush River in um, banks of the Bush River in Maryland uh, on 20 that half wave vertical with my uh, uh, five watts I worked all over the country with it, it was fantastic having a nice um, so, um, moist uh, bank of the river there really enhanced the signal uh, so that worked out quite well very very well uh, someone else trying to break in for the question comment yeah it's George Joe um, that was a great time there at Bush River uh, that field day we did have a good time there were some interesting uh, reptilians around as I recall there too um, question to you is, you know, the, with all the benefits of, a, of the NFED half wave, you know, simplicity and orientation and portability and all that stuff. Um, supposing one wanted to use it in an apartment, maybe on a multi, on a second floor. Um, is there anything that you can do? Um, can, can you use an NFED half wave in the attic or um, uh, with an artificial ground, maybe if you're far, you know, like an apartment building or something? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. That would certainly work. Um, when I say ground or counterpoise here, this was back in this, these um, uh, sketches were done in my early days of playing with the uh, NFED half waves. Um, you don't really need much of a ground or a counterpoise with a, an NFED half wave. Um, often a couple feet of wire will, will suffice. The main reason to have one is that um, it's a high impedance and there is a little bit of ground current that flows. So if you want to keep RF off your feed line getting through the tuner back to the rig, it often helps to have a couple feet of, of counterpoise, just a wire there for that current to have some place to go. But um, yeah, yeah, that that can be um, that can be, if you can wind it around and uh, wind it in your attic or around the around the eaves of the house does quite well. Um, I've been uh, hotel portable and um, in fact thrown out um, literally thrown a wire out the window um, either across to an adjacent building, which I'm sure raised some interest in someone who looked up and saw this wire stretching across an alley. Or at times just um, stuck a, um, a pole out a window five feet or so and ran a half-wave wire down uh, the side of the building. And um, it has been quite effective. And the fact that it's resonant and um, uh, you get the um, benefit of um, having the radiating portion of the antenna away from the building um, really works well. Um, and it can be a good compromise. And indeed, if you get it long enough to be resonant on 40, it's a multiband antenna as well. Oh, very cool. What's the secret to the power end fed uh, or the power end feds uh, antennas? I've heard a lot of good uh, talk about that on the air. And uh, what is it beyond just uh, the end fed half wave? Ah, good point. Um, yeah, that was, it's actually the next topic here that I hadn't gotten into yet, but fine. It's a commercially available antenna. And um Dale Parr, the um, Dale Parfit, W4OP, the guy who uh, designed these antennas, has um, a line of antennas that are now sold by uh, LNR Precision. Um, they are NFED half-wave antennas in general. There are several different flavors. Um, one of them is a straight NFED single-band antenna with a single-band um, tuner, simple single-band tuner um, that works obviously on one band. There are a couple other flavors of um, the NFEDs, which are multi 
band, and I won't go into all the, the variations of them, but basically what they have is a, a true uh, wideband, uh, good matching transformer inside the matching box that um, indeed um, takes the um, several thousand ohm uh, impedance of the antenna, transforms it down to 50 ohms so that it can be fed by a rig. And it is a, a well-designed antenna, a well-designed matcher with a good uh, ferrite core in there uh, and proper winding techniques. And in fact, uh, it's also resonated or it's uh, compensated for 10 meters with a, uh, a compensation capacitor across the uh, 50 ohm section of it. Um, the par things are uh, par excellence. They're very good. They, they work quite well. Um, bought one. I have one. <laughs> And uh, I love it. Um, another commercial source is soda beams uh, out of England. And uh, don't poo-poo ordering something from soda beams. They may be in England, but uh, with our exchange rates, they're very um, very reasonable in price. And um, shipping is quite fast. It, it normally takes no more than a week to get something from uh, soda beams. They sell both the half-wave NFED antennas that are pictured on the white page there. And um, with the wire and everything you need, an insulator and a couple end pegs to, um, to attach them to things. They also have a line of uh, several different uh, um, tuners that are um, uh, suitable for matching over uh, several handbands. Um, so they're quite good. Generally, um, they're mostly single band, uh, both in the uh, the wire antenna being a half wave and the tuner being uh, restricted to a single band. But um, they're good, high quality, and uh, and they work quite well. One of the uh, things I did not mention, a, a difficulty with the NFED half wave antennas, is that while the radiating portion of the wire is up in the air, you do bring the wire back down to uh, close to earth to uh, feed into a, a matchbox or a tuner. That, to some extent, gives you some added loss, but particularly in a um, in an area where um, you're close to a house or close to uh, power lines, unfortunately it, it brings the um, a portion of the active portion of the antenna down close to uh, noise sources. So, in some cases, they can be um, they can be a bit noisy. I have an inverted U half-wave end at my house that is about 20 feet away from the house uh, with actually a par uh, matchbox out at the uh, at the feed point. And that 20 feet of separation makes a significant difference in the amount of noise it picks up, getting it away from uh, all the uh, electronic appliances in the house and uh, and the power wire. Um, any other comments or questions on NFED half-waves? Okay, none heard. I'll, I'll uh, carry on. Um, hey, here's a yeah. quick one, Joe. Yeah, go ahead, George. Um, how about a quick poll? And um, let's, uh, let's do this in a positive fashion. Anybody who has used uh, an NFED half wave before. Please uh, activate your PTT button to see uh, to show us that you've uh, actually done it, uh, used one of these yourselves. Dave, I see you're activated, but I don't hear anything from you. Okay, I see maybe five buttons lighting up along the way. That's that's surprising. I thought um, more of you would have tried it. Uh, if anything, maybe as a result of this show, um, give it a shot. Holy mackerel! It's a really nice, easy way to you know put a rig in the air. Go ahead, Joe. Joe, are you there? Go ahead, Dave. Don't don't let George's heckling bother you. Yeah, uh, quad. And uh, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, it's rated 200 watts, but it makes everything heavy duty in it. And in fact, um, so the wire is pretty heavy. So I made a uh, a lightweight version of it and uh, I've since gone on to other things but I do have that antenna yeah they make good stuff it um, with with my engineering hat on I like things that are predictable and <laughs> and uh, good quality so glad to hear that it works out for you and that is it is good the original par and feds the uh, multi-band one were only rated to 20 or 25 watts uh, I'm certainly glad that they've come out with a 200 watt version now uh, that that's very good and if you snoop around the web you can find others who've done knockoff 
costs on the uh, PAR antennas, uh, some higher power, some um, some not so high power. Um, but uh, there are some some uh, do-it-yourself things on the web. If you uh, if you go through the uh, uh, go through a search for that, you can make your own. Um, any other comments or questions on half waves? Okay, I see some uh, comments in the uh, on the chat uh, session. Some other um, other antennas. Um, not sure if I've heard of the Pactenna, but uh, and um, in fact, I'm not. What was the other one I saw? Yeah, I saw another one. I thought QSO King. Not not sure about theirs, but uh, yeah, there are a lot of them out there. We just listed a couple of the uh, of the more common ones, uh, just as a matter of convenience, so we didn't didn't get carried away with uh, inundating it with too much uh, too much information. TMI. Uh, next topic is vertical antennas. Um, again, they're very popular. Um, they can be simply set up and uh, uh, can do a good job if you use them right. Um, the main knock on them, as I've found over the years, is that if they're too short, they can be inefficient. There's a thing called the um, uh, yeah the, the miracle whip, which is a handheld whip with a little tuner in there, and um, it's it's handheld with no uh, ground or anything, and there are miraculous results claimed for it. A couple foot whip, and the darn thing is over a hundred dollars. Uh, I think that's uh, uh, well, let's say I don't think it's worth the money. Something <laughs> that is good is the um, the um, buddy stick, uh, which is uh, pictured here, uh, mounted uh, I guess on a picnic table, and also a uh, carry pack for the uh, buddy stick. That's a, um, a loaded, yeah, Ray says Miracle Whip is uh, no longer available. Well, that's a good thing. Um, it's a miracle they stayed in business as long as they did. Buddy stick is uh, is good quality. It has a um, um, loading coil on it to resonate a about a six to seven foot whip um, that has taps on it uh, that you can tune to your own uh, to your band of choice. I've used them, um, and in fact, I have a picture a little bit later of one I've, I've used a fair amount. They do a good job uh, to get the best results out of them. Um, they recommend just a single um, quarter wave radial. That works, but it's not as effective as it could be. Um, um, is a good antenna, a little expensive, but uh, if you look up Buddy Pole uh, on the uh, web, um, the guy who designed the original one also has some uh, info on how to build your own. Not as fancy, or, but uh, it's every bit as effective. Um, another good manufacturer is a uh, longtime Jersey QRPer, KA5DVS, who has a company called uh, Pacific Antennas. He's now purchased also QRP kits from uh, the company from uh, uh, Doug Hendricks. So uh, the URL here is for QRP kits. He makes what's called the Pac-12 antenna, which has a couple screw-together sections, um, a loading coil, and a telescoping whip on top of that. Um, it is a tad more effective than the uh, than the buddy stick, simply because it's longer. Um, size matters with antennas to some extent, and um, particularly for loaded antennas, the longer you can get them, the uh, the more efficiently they radiate. But this is good quality. It's uh, relatively inexpensive and uh, works pretty well. The original antenna um, and the one he builds uh, or sells now has quarter wave threads on it which uh, can be a detriment but um, James wised up a 5 dvs and he now has an adapter that comes with it to go from the uh, uh, quarter inch hardware on his antenna to the uh, 3 8 uh, 24 threads that are more common on uh, mobile antenna mounts so that was a good addition um, I have one and um, I've got to admit that uh, I got it as a prototype because I worked with James on developing it but um, it, it works quite well. I'm very happy with it. Very, very happy. Now, I'm certain there are those among the group who've used uh, portable verticals. Any, uh, any anecdotal information? Any um, results people want to brag about? I don't know about bragging, um, um, but the, uh, the, the our experience with the um, um, 
James's uh, Pac-12 is really, it goes back a long time with the, the Jersey Club and um, QR, uh, QHB magazine. For those of you who remember that magazine we published a number of years ago. And then later, I think, uh, a reprise in QRP Homebrewer magazine. Uh, we, we featured the Pac-12 antenna. It would, when it started off, Joe, it was the, you might recall, it was the homebrew version and uh, James had very nice diagrams and such and how one could homebrew this antenna. I did, and uh, I still have it to this day, and that's the one that I use when I'm out um, for portable operations in more tempor temporary portable um, restricted area um, types of locations. Um, you might remember sometimes, Joe, I do talks, QRP talks at uh, ham fests and so on, so I would bring along my Pac-12 and have it set up there and uncoil the uh, the ribbon wire that was used as the ground radials and ultimately got it laid out. I use it occasionally here in the in my basement shack when doing some testing. It makes a nice um, reference, uh, as strange as it sounds, a reference antenna, um, an alternate antenna that I can use to compare some other rigs against um, from a real small transmitting power. Um, and um, to this day, I mean, people call, uh, write me um, about that particular antenna and how effective it is for them. They just followed writing, uh, building it from the magazine article back then. The cool part, and then I'll be quiet, is uh, that the uh, James made uh, when he started off, he had um, individual coils that could screw on. When you stack up that the vertical portion as you're looking at it on the website, you know, it, uh, numerous sections screw into each other. In the middle is the coil and one could uh, create multiple coils. And if you're going to work 20, you would just put in that, that 20 meter coil or um, 10 a different coil and it made it really really nice and light and and kind of easy to um, to handle and light winds and so on but anyways that's a it's a very popular design that James has sub subsequently as you said strengthened up and bolstered with some additional features but it's a it's an oldie but goodie it is indeed yeah and uh, oh darn oh the one thing I wanted to mention I, I say that you need radials to go with it James I think gives you enough for four seven foot radials um, I found it a little more effective to have 10 foot radials and um, I generally use eight of them um, to give it a little more punch when it's uh, when it's out in the field to, um, to give it a, a better ground plane. Uh, it's effective. It does work. Okay, the next subject, and I'm going to have to go a little faster because um, I've been pontificating a bit too much. Next topic is one that I know Ray, tell you, Ray K2ULR and some others have uh, used are magnetic loops. They're, they're awfully convenient for limited space or crowded public areas. I have, uh, I have actually an Alex um, um, walk ham, which is a three-foot loop with um, uh, coax as the radiator. It's pictured here. There are two pictures of it. Um, it's handy. It's small. It's only three feet in diameter. You don't have to worry about having local supports around, though I use mine with a tripod. Um, and if you're in a crowded area, if you're in a public area, you don't have to about, don't worry about wires for people to trip over or uh, having people uh, muck with your uh, feed lines or... or uh, <laughs> The, uh, the antennas that are tied to various things uh, around, they're they're very convenient. Uh, indeed, um, several um, summits on the air folks like the portability of them. Um, very handy to pack along and take on a mountaintop. And the fact that um, they can be operated on uh, several bands. Um, <clears throat> they're they're not restricted to a single band, at least in the commercial version. Um, their, uh, their downside is that they're inefficient on uh, 40 meters. Being so small, the efficiency is down well below uh, 10%. 
that. So they work. Um, Rig K2ULR has uh, used one. In fact, he's even worked Europe on 40 meters with his from Pennsylvania. Uh, I found that uh, they're very good on 20 meters and higher. Um, in fact, uh, worked a number of uh, European stations on uh, 12 meters, which absolutely blew my mind. The darn thing sitting in the back back uh, yard. So they're reasonably efficient up there, and they work quite well. The other uh, efficiency or deficiency is that um, they're narrow band. They're very high Q. They're like a high Q tuned circuit. And um, uh, on 20 meters, as I recall, they're about 10 kilohertz wide. I'm sorry, 40 meters, about 10 kilohertz wide. 20, they're about 20 kilohertz wide. So if you want to move around much in frequency, you have to retune. Um, if you're doing contest operations, kind of a pain in the butt. You're staying on one frequency, not bad. And they do quite well. Um, yeah, Ray comments that his DX was on 40. That, that blows my mind. Um, how much have you used yours, Ray? Uh, I, th I think you've done a fair amount of work with it, have you not? Yeah, quite a bit, uh, Joe. Uh, you may recall, I think I brought it to one of our uh, meetings in New Jersey one time uh, and um, got it going there. I like the fact that it uh, tunes up on, in my case, 40 through. Uh, uh, well, I'm trying to remember if I ran it on 10 meters or not, but I know I ran it on 12, and uh, it, it did a fine job there. I, on that case, I was able to work... Um, the Tango 32 Charlie uh, the expedition on uh, Christmas Island uh, when they were you know in, in full blow uh, DX mode where you know your QSO lasted about eight seconds but uh, I got him in the log and I even got a card from him so which is cool and that was on 12 meter CW and I did also work them on 10 meter uh, sideband but I forget what I whether I used that antenna or a different one it was on a different day that's that's why uh, I, I wasn't sure of it. Uh, and yeah, the, uh, I'm as surprised as anybody that I've uh, gotten as good performance uh, for me on 40 meters as the other bands, although I've used it on 30 and 20 and uh, uh, 15, uh, <clears throat> the Maglu. Uh, mine is an older version. It's not the one that's depicted here with the uh, loop part made out of coax. Mine is made out of copper tubing, which unfortunately means it's a lot less convenient. <laughs> Alex doesn't sell those anymore, I don't believe, although he could make one. Uh, it's the same tuning box in the bottom. Uh, he just uh, put coax connectors on it and a means to support the uh, the loop. Mine is refrigerator tubing and uh, uh, a little bit uh, narrower in diameter, and that probably makes the Q go up a little bit and less bandwidth. Uh, I find the, you know, yeah, I'm 40 meters. You only get a couple of KC, if that. I mean, if I go more than two or three kilohertz, I, I retune. That's <laughs> the way it goes. Uh, back to you, Joe. Uh, Very good, Ray. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I, I know uh, that's right. You did have the uh, the one with the fixed loop, um, which is unfortunately a little less portable than the, uh, the one with coax loop. Um, you got a comment on the um, um, chat with the designers list from Mike WABXN, who um, is uh, intending to do some uh, operation from a fiberglass motorhome, and uh, he wants to know how, what kind of results he can expect using a loop like that inside the motorhome. Um, I can't tell you about a motorhome. I've tried it inside my house, Mike, and uh, it has worked, although it's been less than spectacular. One of the issues is that uh, the magnetic loops are um, very sensitive to 
metal around them. And unfortunately, the house wiring and plumbing and uh, whatever else in the house tends to detune them. Uh, so the SWR goes uh, goes up a bit. And in fact, in the directions um, where, where I would want to work, I do have house wiring in the way, which kind of uh, limits the, um, the effectiveness that way. Although on uh, 20 meters, the darn thing does work. So uh, yeah, Mike wants to know how, how well the loop compares to a typical mobile antenna. Um, on 40 meters, the um, typical mobile antenna will run rings around it. I can guarantee that. On 20, it's probably a toss-up, um, depending on how good your mobile antenna is. Um, above 20 meters, I would expect the loop to be uh, comparable with most mobile antennas. Um, uh, I've been astounded with the performance on um, 15 and 12 meters, um, and the ability to go uh, uh, multi-band is certainly a uh, certainly a plus. Certainly a plus. Um, any co more comments, Ray, on um, how you think uh, the uh, loop in in a motorhome might be? Well, uh, I certainly agree, Joe. Uh, it is affected by stuff nearby. Um, I'll just give you my one anecdotal situation here, and I emailed this to uh, to Mike uh, earlier. Um, I set up my uh, 40 meter QSO here in the in the sunroom, and uh, with the loop indoors, uh, sitting on a tripod, and um, it works. So, I mean, how much RF power was making it across the pond is is debatable. <laughs> it couldn't have been much because I was only running three watts of uh, carrier power. Now, it was on uh, RTTY, standard uh, uh, 45 board uh, uh, RTTY, uh, during a contest. And uh, I'm sure the station at the other end had an antenna that was doing the heavy lifting. But again, a QSO is a QSO. And uh, uh, he copied my call. I copied his. We exchanged reports. And uh, to you, uh, move on to the next station. Uh, so there you go. Uh, that was Echo Remo, Lima 5 Romeo Romeo uh, station I work. Uh, and it was from indoors in a sunroom. Now, yeah, there's a lot of windows, but there's also wallboard and uh, um, some uh, heating ducts in the wall on, on one side and uh, wiring. No plumbing, though. So uh, it's going to have an effect. There's no two ways about it. But uh, if you got the antenna, it, uh, it's always worth a try. Particularly, uh, and I think you mentioned this, too, uh, um, KC5KC is a big guy in Texas for a soda operation, and he uses the Alex loop all the time for his summit activations because he can get on a setup uh, in you know minutes uh, and uh, find the bands that are working and, and uh, put the points on the air for the other stations. Uh, Joe, go ahead. Very good. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Thank you for your your observations based on real experience. Um, any other questions? Um, how about you, Mike? Any other questions? Questions about using a loop? Ah, Mike is silent. Okay, any Joke. any more questions or comments on loops? Yeah, it, maybe I tuned out while you were, uh, if you addressed it already, but uh, somebody, um, Dennis, KN2I, had asked a question about high RF fields near the operating position for the Alex loop or any portable loop. Did you uh, touch on that yet? No, actually, I forgot to. Um, yeah, there are kind of high uh, fields. If you're only running five watts, it's probably not a big deal. Um, I, I would not be terribly concerned about the, um, uh, it's, it's mainly magnetic field, near, near field. As long as you're running QRP, I wouldn't be terribly concerned about it unless you have a pacemaker. Um, and um, if you have to lean in to tune it, you know, for uh, 30 seconds or a minute, probably not a, uh, not a big deal. Um, if you're going to run high power, um, I certainly would not like it. Um, when people express concerns about high power near your head, I say, well, use a damn cell phone with 600 milliwatts right next to your ear, don't you? And you don't worry about
about that. So, you know, that, that's my retort to uh, folks worried about radiation from their ham antennas close by. Um, we got to move along here, unfortunately. Um, things are getting, uh, it's getting late and I've been long winded. My absolute favorite antenna for um, operation is um, um, uh, dipoles or doublets. As I said earlier, um, my goal in putting up antennas is to get the most effective, most uh, repeatable performance thing I can in the air. And it's hard to beat a uh, center-fed uh, half-wave dipole. Um, they're very dependable. They have repeatable results if you manage to get up, up the air. And I found lately that um, adding a ballon helps too. Um, takes more effort to put one up than uh, N-fed wires, although um, it's not too bad if you use it in an inverted V configuration with the center up high, high being 20 feet or more. Tie the ends off high enough that uh, nobody's going to bop their head into them. And um, they're pretty yeah, pretty consistent performers. You always know what you're going to get, which which is a nice thing. Um, they can be multi-banded. Um, center, and the center-fed half-wave is only uh, resonant at uh, its resonant frequency and odd multiples of its resonant frequency. But you can do things to make it multi-band, like segmenting it, segmenting the, um, um, separating the uh, legs into uh, sections resonant on different bands and clipping over them with an alligator clip to make a um, um, make it a half wave on the, the frequency you want. And if it's a um, uh, an inverted V, all you have to do is lower the center to uh, bring the wires down to uh, put the clips on to change bands. Not too bad. One configuration I like um, is uh, what I call the 40-20-15 tri-bander. You make a 40 meter inverted V, which is resonant on 40, and it's also resonant at the high end of the 15 meter band. So you get two bands right away. And if you're clever, you can take the antenna down, bend the ends back, so that instead of both legs being about 33 feet, they're 16 and a half feet. If you connect the ends back to the center and um, uh, appropriately uh, put an insulator in the middle, you've got a 20 meter antenna. So it's um, it's three bands with one fairly simple configuration. Used that um, a lot over the years. Um, another configuration that works out quite well is the doublet, which uses a dipole with an open wire feeder where you can go multi-band. Uh, that requires a tuner and to be really efficient, you need open wire line. The latter line that is commonly used tends to be somewhat inefficient, um, but it's usable. And indeed, I've done that too. But um, for the best, most repeatable results, I prefer a uh, center-fed halfway set up as an inverted V. Uh, did I hear a comment in there? No, but I have one for you that gives you a breather. Um, the ever popular uh, fiberglass poles are really nice when, um, when working with dipoles, because if you slope the ends down uh, at, a, at a pretty good angle, I mean, you can um, you can tie them off. You still have the ends above ground and only with one supportive structure you've got yourself a um, an inverted V. Indeed you do yeah um, and one clue that uh, I learned actually again I, I should have realized it but uh, had to be slapped upside the head to for it to sink in. Um, the very top section on uh, most of the telescoping um, fiberglass whips is very flimsy if you manage somehow to uh, connect the uh, top wire the top of the wire to something at the bottom of the top section rather than the top, it's a lot more um, substantial. The whip doesn't bend and you're not going to break the darn thing off. Um, learned that from Soda Beans who makes insulators that slip over um, the top of the pole and they have a diameter such that it sits at the bottom of the uh, top section so that uh, you get a little more support. I see uh, Mike is a fan of fan dipoles um, with um, multiple half wave sections or multiple quarter wave sections, multiple dipoles connected to a uh, center feed line. Um, yes, indeed, that is a, that's another good configuration that I've used. The only uh, thing it requires 
versus um, a little more complexity and a couple more supports. But that's uh, equally effective as a uh, single band um, center-fed dipole. Um, And there are some commercially available um, antennas. We have some info here. You can look from my favorite soda beams. And there's a whole bunch of uh, information here. Soda beams is really good. They're they're very inexpensive. They're uh, they're good quality, and uh, they work uh, they work as uh, as uh, expected and as advertised. So um, though I build most of my antennas, I have to admit I've bought several from Soda Beams just to have the av- availability. Um, who else has used um, uh, portables um, dipoles? Portable. Um, any uh, anecdotal uh, uh, stories here? No. Uh, well, perhaps we've blitzed everybody. I know George likes the uh, doublet, the uh, center-fed dipole with uh, open wire feed to it. Uh, we've done field day with that and um, he's he's been a gangbuster on um, 80 and uh, 40 with that right george sure have uh ray it looks sounds like you got some background noise there that's tripping your tripping your vox but um yeah it, it's, it's been a great popular one i remember one time you weren't with us joe um we went up to crater lake uh, this truly borders on 20 uh, two decades ago and um, Crater Lake in northern Jersey. And I had a lot of fun with such a, a dipole up there. A really, really good results. Yeah. Now, as I say, the, the dipoles tend to be predictable performance. You you know what you're going to get and um, works uh, pretty well uh, most of the time. Okay, two more topics to go that I'm going to go through fairly quickly because I don't want to I want to leave time for George to uh, have some comments at the end. Um, one of the things I've been doing lately is what I call fixed mobile. Um, I use a um, some sort of mobile end antenna on my car. Um, it, as I um, as I age, it, it gets a little more awkward sometimes to go out and stick some stick something up in a park, particularly if the weather's not too good. So I have a mobile mount on my car. I have uh, have some pictures here. The, the first picture is uh, of my car sitting in the parking lot of a um, um, a white lightning brew a distillery in Kentucky. You can see a whip there. That's a buddy pole on my car on a mobile mount. Um, that's that was one of my favorites. Multi band, um, very quick to set up, easy, fairly efficient. Two of the things I did that make it more effective, uh, one thing, is I mounted it on the um, um, lip of my uh, rear hatch of my uh, my Hyundai Santa Fe. As you can see, it's a, uh, a solid mount, a, a Diamond K400, which works quite well. But the thing that really made a significant difference in getting efficiency and performance out of it was I ran a wire from the, uh, the ground of the, uh, the mobile antenna mount about a foot or so to a bolt that attaches the hatchback to the car. So now I've got the whole um, body of the car set up as a ground plane uh, with a good low impedance connection. And that makes the antenna vastly more efficient. And um, I don't have to worry about uh, touching the feed line and having the SWR go all over the place. Works very, very well. Um, since then, well, the extra ground, the having the ground system of the car makes a short whip work extremely well. Um, as I say, it's good for inclement weather or for, you know, spur of the moment operation. I've done um, uh, operations from parking lots in Albuquerque when I was on uh, on business trips with a, a mobile whip. I've worked both bands, or both the both ends of the country on uh, 20 and 40 meters, and in fact um, with a uh, 30 meter whip, I've worked into Europe uh, on the car. So it's very very handy for that. Lately, I've been using the Pac-12, which is a couple feet longer, since I got one of the um, the adapters from James to mate it to the 3H24 um, uh, mount on the car. 
um, I have much better results, probably an S unit better results with a Pat Glow, simply because it's longer and it, and it works quite well. Um, work mobile um, in motion with a um, hamstick also um, from Death Valley while I was on vacation out there. I worked um, on 20 meters up into Alaska, worked around the uh, U.S. out to the East Coast with, with just a um, the same same antenna, the same mount on a rental car, and I, I uh, took along that ground wire and put it on the um, on the hinge mount on um, the hinge hardware, and that worked extremely well. On 30 meters, I've, I've done it uh, admittedly mobile. Um, I've worked into Europe and uh, the Caribbean and around the country on, on uh, 30. So great way to go, simple way to go, portable. Um, the Pac-12 and the Hamstick, unfortunately, are not rugged enough to operate the mobile. So I only use them when I'm fixed. Uh, but when I'm mobile, I use a uh, Hamstick. But it's a it's a handy way to get on the air quickly if you're in some remote location and uh, and just enjoy yourself. Um, anecdotally, um, and uh, in f- under full disclosure rules, I don't operate CW Mobile when I'm driving. Um, I let my son do the driving and I stick to the ham radio. Any questions or comments on uh, uh, mobile portable operation? Um, Joe, could you comment, I guess, maybe for Mike's benefit, and we, we sort of touched on it a little bit. I can't recall if it was in the email or um, discussion here, but um, the screwdriver antenna, pluses, minuses, value, performance, yada, yada, yada. Okay, yeah, the screwdriver's not a bad antenna. Um, as you recall, I'm sure you recall, and you're too um, too bashful to admit it, uh, one one year when we drove out to Dayton, you had, a, um, you had a screwdriver antenna on your Expedition, I think it was, your Ford Expedition, and uh, we worked uh, 20 meters and 10 meters, as I recall. It was pretty, pretty effective. Um, the things you have to do... The, the screwdriver antennas work pretty darn well, even at QRP levels. The thing you have to do is to, as much as you can, get it away, get it up as high as you can on the car body, and get it away as much as you can from the metal so that you're not radiating into the uh, structure of the vehicle. And probably the most important thing is to have a good solid ground connection to the frame or the body of the car. Um, the radiation resistance of a short antenna like that is only a couple ohms. So unless you have a um, comparable low resistance connection to to the uh, body of your vehicle, uh, you're going to be wasting a lot of power. But if you can get it away from the metal, and uh, <laughs> and um, I'll comment on that in a second, Mike, get away from the metal and do a, a good ground uh, connection, you can do well. How high can it be and not hit, hit stuff with the top while mobile? Well, I can tell you from experience, yeah, George says 13 feet, 6 inches. Well, that's typical for toll booths and bridges, although within a quarter of a mile house, I have a, a, um, a an o- underpass, which is on a federal highway which is 13 feet 2 inches. Um, generally speaking, that's true. However, um, there are trees on my street. Yeah, George says twang. There are trees on my street which are about 10 and a half feet high. So <clears throat> when I have my ham stick, which is a 7-foot antenna, um, up about uh, 6 feet on my car, they hit the trees. So I would try to keep it um, generally under total height of 10 feet if you can. Um, not great, um, great for you to know, uh, Mike, but um, that's life. Um, how high do you intend to have the the, uh, the whip on your car or your uh, motorhome? Oh, let's see. Yes, I'm transmitting. Found the right button here. I, I'm not sure. I've got uh, the big Tar Heel antenna, and uh, it's mounted a uh, foot and a half, two feet above ground uh, level, and um, 80 meters, it goes up pretty high. So uh, uh, that's one of the considerations I have. I'll have to uh, do some more research on it. It is mounted on the left rear corner so that's uh, a little better than on the right side for trees but uh 
time will tell. And hopefully if it does uh, hit a tree a little bit, it won't be a, uh, a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as you're uh, as long as you're not hitting hard things like uh, toll booths and uh, underpasses, is probably not too bad. My hamsticks have uh, have withstood any number of uh, twangs from local trees. I can tell you. Okay, last topic I'm going to do is something that is kind of near and dear to my heart that um, I've been using lately. Um, as I mentioned, I I like to have some predictability in my tennis antennas. I like to know how well they're working. Um, there's a facility on the web called the Reverse Beacon Network. Network. And I have the URL misspelled, I see, in the uh, in the whiteboard here. There's only one E in Beacon. So if you try to go to uh, that, that link, um, you uh, want to leave one of the E's out. There are skimmers, which are receivers, broadband receivers, on a number of the handbands in the CW portions um, around the country and uh, some around the world that um, continuously look for signals on the air and uh, post reception on, on the web page on the Reverse Beacon Network. They, um, they look for for um, signals calling CQ and TEST. And for example, if I'm going to check out an antenna, I say test, test, D-E-N-2-C-X, N-2-C-X-K. And indeed, you get back a, a, um, a report on the uh, reverse reverse beacon network of which station has received you <clears throat> and um, what they estimate the uh, signal-to-noise ratio is. So it's a quick way of estimating whether or not you're getting out in the first, first place and getting some some uh, qualitative data on whether or not you're getting out well. Um, this is a screenshot of uh, a, local, a recent thing I did uh, with my home antenna running at uh, three watts. I was received by a station in um, New York, one in I think Pennsylvania, another one down in Virginia um, on uh, 40 meters uh, with just a quick call on the air. And um, I was getting received indicated signal to noise ratios in the teens and uh, low 20s, uh, which is not bad. Um, the Results you get are—you've got to interpret them. They're not—they're um, not super accurate, and they depend on propagation. They depend on your antenna pattern. But you get a quick idea of whether or not you're getting out and how well you're getting out. The rules of thumb I use are: if this, the indicator signal-to-noise ratio is below 10 dB, you're probably not doing all that well. If it's between 10 and 20 dB, you're getting out reasonably well. You're going to make contacts. And if it's over 20 dB, you're doing quite well. You're going to do very, very well. Um, play around with the reverse speaking network a little bit and um, you can evaluate your antennas and uh, uh, you go out portable throughout a wire and you can get a quick idea of how well you're doing and by the way this screenshot is from my uh, smartphone so if you can get to the web you can uh, do a quick check and see how you're getting out um, all right any closing comments questions on antennas portable antennas and uh, evaluating um, how well you're getting out a quick comment as far as measuring um, having some type of a uh, an SWR meter, um, an automated one of the of those is, is a really handy thing to have in any kind of an antenna situation, uh, but especially in those that are tuned or tunable, which by definition is everything, I suppose. But um, finding out where your um, your optimal tuning point is is really, really handy, whether it's an MFJ259, a Micro908 antenna analyzer. Um, oh, shucks. What's the name of that little? Sark 110. 
<laughs> you knew where I was going. The Sark 110 that we've talked about in the past, and also the uh, the Midnight SNA, that's uh, the um, um, Scalar Network Analyzer that we've talked about in the past too. Uh, measuring return loss is a really handy field usage of uh, uh, that equipment for measuring antennas. So no matter what you use, um, it's how you use it, and it's really uh, really handy to see how your performance is. Uh, as they say, there's there's no um, uh, one one would think that there's no better than an antenna that is that is flat across a really wide bandwidth, um, and as long as you don't have a have a dummy load as that antenna, you 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 might have a good antenna. In other words, a dummy load is is flat across all bands, and but it's not too much of a great radiator. But measuring what you've got is always important, Joe. Oh, indeed, uh, you're speaking to you're speaking to someone to whom uh, metrology is extremely important, uh, and I forget the exact quote, but um, um, Darn. Lord uh, Rutherford said something like, if you can't measure it, you don't know what you're talking about. Joe, you copy it? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Do you have any experience on measuring radiated performance of antennas, you you or uh, George? Um, and the reason why I'm asking is uh, I've been doing measurements uh, with AF4B, as a matter of fact, over a 10-mile distance. Um, does that seem reasonable from a consistency point of view, uh, bearing in mind line of sight and ionic sphere reflections? Well, yeah, uh, uh, George and I have a little experience with it. We did some measurements on um, what we called the Midnight Loop, which was a 20-meter uh, loop antenna, where we did it over a much shorter range, maybe 100 feet. Um, we did comparative measurements with a, an MFJ loop to see how well it uh, worked. I've done them professionally at uh, VHF and microwaves, which is a totally different thing. Um, it's always difficult when you're doing um, open field measurements to, uh, to get repeatable results, but uh, 10 miles is not bad, not bad at all. Um, you can get some idea of what's going on if you can, um, if you can accurately and repeatably measure field strength. There was a um, um, series in QEX within the last couple of years where a guy has uh, measured mobile antennas over, I think, about a four-mile uh, distance over a number of years, and he had comparative readings um, on various mobile antennas, um, and he had some pretty consistent uh, repeatable measurements. So it is uh, it is something you can do if you have the right instrumentation um, and you get a fair idea of what's going on. Um, you know, not like a professional antenna range, but uh, you can certainly tell within uh, 6 dB or so how well you're doing, um, particularly if you're doing comparative measurements. That, that's always the uh, uh, kind of the golden standard as opposed to uh, trying to measure absolute antenna gain, which which is a real thorny nature. Answer your question? Yeah, yes. Uh, the measurement technique, in fact, was to use a K3 pan adapter uh, on a big display, at, which has a DBM scale, and uh, we were, in fact, make, make, making comparative measurements on various antennas, vertical, uh, end-fed, half-waves, random wire, and so on, uh, and actually uh, also used uh, MFJ's big ear, which, in effect, is a dipole. It didn't produce very good results. Yeah, yeah. The, the issue I have with the big ear is that it puts the radiating portion of the antenna down close to ground where you don't want it. Um, but yeah, that, that's a, uh, a reasonable way to do it. Just anecdotally, uh, a little bit of bragging. Some years ago, I worked on a um, uh, an LF communication system that Darcier was installing for the Air Force. And we actually did um, effective radiated power and antenna pattern measurements on 300-foot um, verticals on 150 kilohertz. Um, we had expensive rodent Schwartz test 
test equipment. And we actually did the antenna pattern measurements at a distance of, as I recall, 10 kilometers. And over um, periods of several months, you know, repeating every month or so, we were able to repeat measurements within uh, uh, better than half a dB. So it can be done. Um, it takes a lot of instrumentation if you're going to uh, if you're going to get professional results. Yeah. Okay, Joe. Thanks very much. We've we've been quite um, impressed with the results that we're getting with this pan adapter method. So uh, appreciate your comments there. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good way to go. That's uh, that's an example of some ham equipment that uh, can do a good job for measurements like that. All right, I think I'm going to turn it back to George and let him uh, wrap things up here with some uh, project updates. Go ahead, George. Well, thank you, Joe, and really nice job handling uh, uh, the entire topic here this evening, and uh, good stuff. We wish we had more time to really kind of go into greater detail on uh, specific antennas. Maybe even we'll get a chance to do that in the future, and thanks to everybody for um, listening along and and contributing. Um, What we wanted to do right now is just to kind of uh, wrap up the show, but before doing so, I wanted to give you an update on the two major projects that we've got going here on Chat with the Designers. Um, the first is the uh, the GPSDO, the GPS Disciplined Oscillator uh, Project, which now is in the final leg of the race, and uh, the motherboard is the last thing to be completed. It is the layout is now complete, and as my notes say on the whiteboard at the very bottom of the of the whiteboard is that we're going to fab this week, uh, so. We'll have the boards coming out of fab. Oh, they go down for the Christmas. They shut down for the Christmas break, but probably uh, uh, shortly after the new year, we'll be getting the boards and we'll be able to finish off this project. The uh, that motherboard kit is going to be the last component uh, uh, to get if you are following along, and many of you are um, doing so. Uh, the VCXO kit was first, followed by the oven control kit, which was um, a different one um, that actually turned that VCXO into an oven controlled oscillator crystal oscillator and then um, this uh, the third piece of course is the disciplining um, um, the disciplining circuits that are come along on this motherboard and it all fits together into a little aluminum uh, enclosure which is also available all of the different components here are like in the range of fifteen dollars um, ultimately uh, if you've been following along that's the price range um, just uh, it's it's the educational effort and putting it all together and kind of making it work we've got some uh, um, design surprises and extra extra doodahs on this as we get into it uh, next time and to wrap it up and you'll you'll hopefully be able to uh, to check that out. Meanwhile, of course, the only component that you really need to get besides the the kit elements we're talking about here is the GPS receiver. Um, um, on the project website, which is listed there, um, as, um, the chat with the designers GPSDO project. It's listed at the top of our home page as well as right here at the bottom of the web page uh, of the white. Board. If you if you don't see it there, just refresh your browser and you'll see that it has been added. Along we we have de'd uh, Joe's URL from up above about the uh, the Beacon Network. Um, but on that uh, project page for the GPSDO, you'll see the four different elements that comprise the overall project. As I mentioned, the VCXO, the oven control, the motherboard, and the GPS. So the GPS receiver, just get that on your own from eBay. It's like $15 or something. Uh, well worth the effort, and I think you'll have fun with it. So um, we're going to wrap that up next time, and um, um, that should be that. The um, the Elmer 101 and the SW30 uh, 
get um, the team, we call it the uh, the chat with the designers think tank, um, has been working along on this very diligently. I think spearheaded mostly by Mike, WA8BXN. Um, and um, that is coming along very well. And we are next in, when we next meet in January, are going to be uh, starting that project off. The I still don't have the price target for the um, for the kit. I would I'd, I'd say it's controls included. Um, it's probably going to be like in the thirty five to forty dollar range. I'll be updating the project page for that one as well when I have that uh, when I have the remainder of the parts in hand. But uh, once I do get those remainder of the parts, uh, kitting them up is um, going to be really quite um, uh, straightforward. I don't see Larry here. Um, our uh, the other part of the team uh, K three PEG is is helping out uh, very much in doing this, and we'll soon have the the kits ready for that. And at that time, of course, we'll launch the actual Elmer 101 instructional series as part of the Chat with the Designers program here. And um, I think you'll enjoy it too. It's not a rehash of everything that's been published before. We've given our own spin on um, the order and uh, process of putting together the kit and how to test it. And I think I know that uh, you're going to really enjoy it. So um, we have enough um, kits to go around. I'm not too much worried about that. If um, if there's more of a demand than, than we have kits, we'll see if we can get another round. But suffice it to say that everybody here on TeamSpeak is going to get first dibs um, on the Chat with Designers program, either live in-person attendee, we know who you are, as well as the podcast listeners from the feedback that we've been getting. We know who is all listening and following along there. You guys get first dibs when the product uh, ordering opens up. So that's also going to be, again, just before the uh, January episode um, um, of, um, of Chat with the Designers. So um, with those two updates, do anybody have any questions that they'd like to ask before we close down the show tonight? Yes, sir, Mike. I just kind of wondered how many sessions for Elmer 101 are you envisioning? at this point. Yeah, well, we've been discussing that uh, um, in our think tank, and it uh, probably more than a few, um, only because there's numerous sections to put together, and we, as we do, like to get long-winded sometimes about describing section by section. Plus, there's the intro, there's a section by section, there's a test, there's a, a usage one. So um, we were thinking that it might be um, good to have some what we call lightweight shows uh, that are more frequent than just once a month month, maybe on an every other week basis, uh, in order to handle the amount of material that we want to cover in the Elmer 101 series. So in other words, to make it useful enough for everybody and to have value, if we were to spend a little bit of extra time um, in the Elmer 101 material and, and going through, and also that would kind of compress it a little bit too, because we all want to get the darn kit built and working, and uh, and that would hasten that along. Other questions about uh, the GPSDO or the Elmer 101 or the SW30 kit. Okay. Well, um, once again, thank you for tonight's show. Thank, a special thanks to Joe and to CX for the, the usual superb job. And boy, Joe, your audio tonight was just fabulous. Whatever you were doing, just uh, keep that up. It, it just really came across well. Um, this is the final episode for this calendar year, 2015. We're right now not only in the Christmas uh, season. Christmas is just a couple of days away. And we want to really thank you, our listeners and attendees uh, here on the show month after month throughout this year, as well as previous ones, for your dedication, your your uh, participation, and your thoughtful questions and feedback along the way. Um, you are not taken for granted. We really 
really enjoy having you here. If we didn't feel that you, that, that everyone was, that, that people were able to benefit from this, we would not be doing it. We really are appreciative of, of your attending and spreading the word and your pretty reliable attendance session or episode after episode. We've got 77 under our belt now, and uh, we'll see if we can break 100 in this coming year. But a very special holiday wish to everybody and encourage you to spend time with the family, enjoy yourselves, be careful uh, while on the road, be careful while imbibing in any spirits, um, whether it is on bended knee or otherwise, and be sure that you can join us uh, coming in, in the coming year. We love everybody here, and uh, this is a great hobby, and we enjoy participating in it. Rick? Yeah, I wanted to thank you for a great variety of useful and interesting information over the last year. I also had a question when I, when I actually posted didn't get a response. I am just getting started with uh, 3D printers, and I wondered if there was anybody uh, that's listening this evening that uh, has uh, some expertise in that area that would be willing to uh, share that with me, either uh, email or uh, otherwise. Well, that can anybody from um, from chiming in right now, uh, feel free to post that question on the list. Um, it's an interest of mine, but I haven't uh, I haven't built one or purchased any of the, the the kits that are getting lower and lower cost. But I'm sure that there is somebody out there that would uh, uh, be able to offer their their uh, their experience and guidance as far as you starting to do that. I think it's a, a fantastic uh, type of project. While we're at it, another project, two projects uh, have really captured my attention. Going going forward into the new year. It is the ESP8266. Um, it's a small microcontroller. It has built-in Wi-Fi, and it uh, can be programmed via the Arduino um, sketches software um, and development environment. And it has up to like 12 GPIO pins for control. And um, all of this is on like a less than a half a half, maybe a postage stamp type of uh, little module. Oh, and by the way, six dollars. So this is something that goes Going forward, I'm sure is going to make its way into our projects here in chat with the designers. Um, a second one is um, oh, just a, a really. Um, Mike asks, what was it? It was ESP um, Echo Sierra Papa 8266, 8266. Look it up. It's a movement that has just taken taken legs like nobody's uh, nobody's believed. The environment isn't quite as um, robust as, um, as 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 the Arduino and some other more mature devices, but it'll get there for the cost. It's just a Amazing built-in temperature sensors, um, and again, built-in Wi-Fi. It's standalone. It can be a standalone web server all by its lonesome. It's really quite phenomenal. Um, another chip that I came across that's going to gain some more visibility by me. Um, I was looking. I built a color organ. Uh, most of us probably are old enough to remember what a color organ is from the 1970s era lights that bounce in time with the music and they're separated by frequencies and colored lights. Um, I found a chip and, oh, I'm not going to remember the number for the chip now. It's an MEQ, MESQ7 or something. I'll put the specs up, but for five, uh, roughly three, $3, it is a chip. You pump audio in and it uh, separates the audio spectrum into seven discrete bins or um, uh, well, and, and that a microcontroller can use to display um, like a spectrum 
spectrum display. A spectral graphic equalizer is, is what I'm trying to say. I use that as part of a color organ, but we're going to see more of that. And my last comment is that we were thinking of um, opening up uh, uh, a, a user projects page. So if you have a special project that you want to get some visibility and maybe you don't have your own website or blog site or whatever, uh, here on Chat with the Designers, if you are a member with us, um, participating or, or um, a podcaster or whatever, um, we, we are going to put together some pages that can be dedicated for you and your project and posting it there so others can see it and, and take advantage of it. And maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it at some time in future episodes. So that's it. Uh, Joe, any final words before we close down for the year? Now, George, I think you've, uh, you've said plenty and my, my voice is about to give out. I believe it. Okay, everybody, thank you very much for a good time this uh, this episode here, for a good time next year, uh, this, this year, and we will see you next year, 73, all. This is N2APB, Claire. N2CX out.